Hi, everybody. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Want to say real quickly, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any custom merchandise, youth jerseys, camp t-shirts, whatever it may be, you can always find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store. We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the NIL Show. I'm Adam here with Sean Ellenby and Stephen Farrig. Uh, excited for a great conversation today. Stephen, do, who do we have lined up? Darren Heitner. Darren has quite the resume uh, in the NIL space, in the legal space, in the sports space. And he he had an awesome conversation with us today, chatting about a plethora of things from the Cavender twins and working with them to what's happening in Congress, state legislation. You can really hear it in, in Darren's voice, how passionate he is on the topic. And uh, it was quite the conversation. Sean Adam, what can listeners expect today? Yeah, I, I, I think we, we just got some interesting insight into dealing with the Cavender twins as, as their legal advisor. Clearly people who are very successful in the NIL space and were from day one and he was there throughout that entire thing. So uh, I thought that was the coolest. And obviously you got to stay till the end because Darren reveals his slam dunk NIL deal. And I think he's really the first person that really dove into the different intricate elements that make up an NIL deal and really put that in. So uh, stay tuned for that. Great conversation. Uh, love Darren's perspective. You know, he's he's not an agent. He's not a representative. He's, he's a lawyer. And so he kind of bridges that gap a little bit between giving counsel versus, you know, trying to go out and source deals, but uh, a great conversation. So let's go ahead and get into it. There's two attorneys you follow in the NIL space. It's Mitt Winter and, and Darren Heitner. <laughs> Darren, do you know Mitt pretty well, or, or are you I do? Are, are you internet friends or friends? In, uh, in we've we've met actually a few times in person. He's done a very great job of staying on top of pretty much everything. I mean, he's just super active on Twitter. I know, and he he basically has like a quote retweet of pretty much every newsworthy item. <laughs> um, so he definitely puts his his opinion out there. It's actually, oftentimes I'll get bogged down by work and want to kind of catch up on things. And I can always rely that there will be like a barrage of midwinter tweets to look at. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So Darren, uh, Florida Gator and an attorney and a professor in NIL and published a book or two. Three. Um, three. UF's 40. But who's under, counting? But Don't who's sure. counting? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not I apologize. Uh, 40 under 40. Uh, you've got quite the resume of, of everything you've been up to. And you look you look not a year older than younger than you know 25. So nice. I don't know how you've done it. Done it so well. Maybe it's the Florida sun and the aging. Give, yeah, give us your quick background, where what, what you've been up to, how you got in this spot. I think you've got a super awesome background. Yeah. I don't know how far you want me to go back, but... Graduated from law school uh, back in 2010. So coming up on almost 15 years of practicing, actually went to law school without the intention of practicing law and instead further developing a sports agency that I had started going into law school in 2007. Within a year of practicing law, decided sports agency wasn't for me for plenty of reasons and decided to pivot into full-time practicing law Soon thereafter, I was writing for Forbes and Inc. Magazine. Prior to that, started Sports Agent Blog. So knew I wanted to really dive headfirst into sports, even though I wasn't running a sports agency. Converted a lot of, I guess, what you could claim as being 
competitors, that being sports agents, into clients, which has been a really great source of referrals uh, for me in building up clientele, athletes, agents, sports businesses, etc. And so if you fast forward roughly a decade later from starting to practice, and I had worked at a couple of firms before starting my own in 2014, there was this this effort all of a sudden starting in California to change the laws, uh, the law specifically surrounding name, image, and likeness. And I shouldn't actually say changing the law because there wasn't a law concerning college athletes. It was a rule by the NCAA to restrict athletes from having the capacity to exploit their publicity rights, much like everybody else around the country, whether it be based on state statute or just common law precedent that's been established by by courts. And so California took this charge in 2019. A local representative in the state of Florida asked me through his legislative aid whether I'd be interested in working with them to brainstorm ideas, whether it's something we even want to do, to do in the state of Florida, given Florida's much more conservative than California. Oftentimes things that float in California don't float here for political reasons primarily. And if so, would I be interested in helping draft legislation, promote it, et cetera? And that's really how I got my feet wet back in 2019, two years prior to July 2021 in this whole space and helping on the political side. Uh, and then ultimately, I guess, becoming a thought leader on it. And when July 2021 hit, working with a plethora of athletes, brands, agents, now collectives, in fact, working with the very first group that called itself a collective, which is why we use the term altogether in the industry. So wow. it's been a fun, fun ride. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Wow. And, and you've got a newsletter on LinkedIn, seven, 8,000 subscribers every week you put it out, um, really thought provoking, great opinions on it. I guess like you've now seen it from its inception to where it's at now? Is it everything you expected it would be? Are all, all the things happening? Like what, what's been the most surprising part for you? I think the most surprising part has been the complete lack of any enforcement whatsoever. So when we were drafting our bill in the state of Florida and going through different amendments throughout the past couple of years, and even looking at legislation that's been passed in other states, I think one thing that definitely stuck out was the fact that there really aren't enforcement mechanisms in these pieces of legislation that became law. And even if there were, do we really expect a state to penalize a school or an athlete in the state for economic related activities and to basically make it harder for those schools to compete against others around the country and particularly within the same conference? So the answer to that would be, I think, no, even if you had these enforcement mechanisms. But Outside of the states themselves, the NCAA, it's now we're coming up on two years and we've heard about investigations, inquiries into various schools and, and maybe specific activities. There hasn't been a single enforcement action. And some people will, will reference Miami, the fact that there were there was a few games suspension for the women's basketball coach and forfeiture of, of some other small things. But that wasn't even an NIL violation. That was a recruiting-based violation and right. dealing with a booster. And, and there were no penalties that emanated from an actual NIL violation. So two years in, no enforcement. I think that's probably the thing that surprises me the most. But as I've said many times before on the record, 
nothing surprises me with the NCAA because <laughs> honestly, when you think you're going to zig, you should zag. Whenever you think the NCAA would do or should do something, you should actually internally in your in your mind say they're going to do the opposite. <laughs> which is really what what's happened. So where I have kind of two questions. You talked a lot about state legislation and it's kind of starting to be in vogue for states to start writing their own legislation that gives them the opportunity to either supersede or end around whatever the NCAA bylaws are. Do you think because there's no NCAA enforcement so far, is that just kind of states hedging their bets and ensuring that they don't lose any competitive advantage as this space takes shape? I'm surprised by how fast this has occurred. And I don't have a very lengthy political background. I received a crash course going through this with Florida late 2019, early 2020, and then as efforts were even put in place to, to try to curb what we had accomplished just prior to mm -hmm. July 1, 2021. One thing I remember from early on is, you know, we, we originally had a bill that wanted it to go live July 1, 2020. That was what was put in committees, went through committees on the House floor. And then in the Senate, Florida Senate, they said, you know, we need to push it back to July 1, 2021. This is just, this pushes the envelope too far, too fast. Mm -hmm. And there were other things too. And, and so I got this sense that there was this reticence, this reluctance among politicians to really nudge the NCAA too much. And it's interesting to me how quickly, again, in, in less than two years, we see legislatures across the country now taking a very different approach. Oklahoma, Texas, New York, to name a few that have recently proposed legislation that, as you mentioned, essentially says, here's the middle finger, NCAA, you can't penalize us. You can't penalize our athletes. Mm -hmm. You can't penalize our coaches. You're rendered ineffective. And I don't, I, I think more than anything, this is an effort by politicians to not necessarily even the playing field, but to try to give the schools within their respective states a leg up among the rest mm -hmm. of the competition. I mean, they're, they're really protecting their home turf. Yeah, they are. Their land, their land grant university, like Oklahoma, does not want to lose. And so they're going to do like that. That's one purpose, like vehicle of local government in action. Now, mm -hmm. flip that to the. To well, let me just say side. one thing real quick. I mean, go, go back to May or June of 2020 when Governor Ron DeSantis signed our bill into law. And the reason why there was a gap is because of COVID. But if you look back to some of the articles where he's quoted, he didn't hold back. He said, I'm looking forward to giving schools in the state of Florida a competitive advantage over other mm -hmm. schools in other states. And that competitive advantage lasted only a brief amount of time because other states followed. But yeah, I think for the past two, three years, that has always been either in the back of politicians' minds or they're just very actively stated it. But but go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, so flip that now to the federal level, right? Like NCAA hires uh, Charlie Baker. They went, you know, there was a, a hearing a couple of weeks, like a, maybe a month ago. That was an interesting hearing, to say the least. I listened to some of it and was surprised by who they who they brought on there's a potential lawsuit like 1.4 billion dollar lawsuit uh against ncaa if you were to look in a glass ball will federal legislation actually pass or is this just them trying what, what do you think is going to happen well the, the very quick answer is no i do not think we will see legislation pass and be signed into law i'd honestly at this point be surprised if any legislation 
makes it out of committee for actual debate and vote in either the House or the Senate. Uh, it doesn't, from, from a normative standpoint, I don't think it makes sense. Uh, we'd be codifying a right of publicity for college athletes and only college athletes when we've left that specific area of the law up to the states for about 100 years. Uh, and we wouldn't be addressing every other citizen, like all of us talking here who are not college athletes. So we'd be leaving that still to the states, but now putting it in the hands of the federal government to oversee and enforce. And I'm not sure who exactly would be doing that enforcement. Uh, I recently talked to a congressional staffer who, who discussed the potential of the FTC handling it. And I'm not sure why the FTC would be in a position to really do so. So, no, I, I don't I don't believe that we will see any real federal action. And look, the NCAA hasn't changed. Yes, leadership has changed. We, we've gone from Mark Emmert to Charlie Baker. And along with that, I think there's more open communication between Congress and the NCAA. There's more familiarity. It appears to be much friendlier conversation. And I think Charlie Baker is a much better communicator with the general public as well, although he's made a lot of missteps already, I believe. But the NCAA, whether they're right or wrong, feels trapped. It feels as though, given the pending litigation that you made reference to, given the decision in Austin v. NCAA, and given the fact that we live in a very litigious society, that no matter what it does, despite the rhetoric that they're going to be enforcing the rules, which they haven't actually done, that they can't do so without some sort of antitrust protection. And I just don't see Congress providing it. Darren, this is Sean Ellenby speaking, handle our marketing here for, for the NIL store. I'm going to pivot a little bit slightly, maybe a little bit more personally to you. You've always been a writer. 2005, you start your sports agent blog way back. And then Today, to this day, you're still doing your weekly newsletter and constantly writing. You're a thought leader in that space. Why has that been something that's always been so important to you to constantly be writing? I enjoy it. Uh, I, I think, you know, going back to 2005, I had an internship at a sports agency that summer between my sophomore and junior years of college. And I felt very underwhelmed going back to Florida and studying for political science and being a nightlife promoter. And I wanted to do something that would keep me in the sports business and learn more about that area, that industry sports agency that I coveted, build connections with thought leaders and people who have been practicing for a long time, et cetera. And so that was the big reason why I started the website back in 2005, but I've continued to write because I truly enjoy it. Uh, it challenges me to continue to learn more, to test and challenge my own ideas and thoughts on particular subjects. Uh, to engage in back and forth communications with people who follow my writing. I mean, I, I really love that component of it. I don't necessarily love Twitter on a daily basis, <laughs> dependent on uh, the trolling activity. But outside of that, overall, I, I do enjoy the, the commentary and the back and forth. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's also kept me relevant. I'm not going to lie. It, it helps people continue to know that I'm out there, that I'm following the space. And I think it helps It helps you become perceived as uh, somebody who is an expert in a particular profession uh, or industry. So there's there's myriad reasons why I continue to write. And but the, but the biggest one is it's a passion. That's awesome. Okay. There's a couple things I want to riff on. I'm like, I, you know, you worked with, with the Cavender twins, 
early on. Do you still work with them today? Is that, uh, is that, or was that early on? Tell us about that. Well, I, we're recording on May 17 on a Wednesday. I don't know when this is actually going to go out, but I'm very pissed at them. So I'm, I'm, I'm very <laughs> tight. I'm very tight with the twins and I still work with them. And I feel like I have a new project for them on a daily basis, but I'm pissed because we were supposed to go and play pickleball today at two o'clock and then it got pushed to three o'clock and now they canceled altogether. So really, really disappointed in them. But, but otherwise, you know, I have nothing <laughs> negative to say, but, but it's really, it's really, you know, ruined my day to be honest. And I don't know that I'll, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to get better before the end. Of what's the it, what's it been like working with them? Uh, oh, it's I mean, yeah. you know, tell us about the inception of that. Like, you know, obviously like we all know what's happening with women's sports and yeah. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that from like maybe the earlier days, if there's a, if there's a fond memory you have. Yeah. And, and they're bigger than, than women's sports. And, and it, it's been a blessing uh, for me to work with them. And it really proves, uh, you know, being at the right place at the right time, not burning bridges, being top of mind and just, you know, having, the requisite knowledge base and experience to take advantage of a unique opportunity. So going back a week or two before July 1, 2021, I had been doing some consulting work for a company called IconSource, which is uh, an NIL marketplace that brings brands and, and athletes together. And mainly I was doing some behind the scenes work and helping them with their template contracts and also getting the word out for them that they are, exist and, and are looking to take a big chunk of the of the market share in, in this industry. And so they were, you know, their their big announcement was going to be in conjunction with the Cavender twins. They had been working on behind the scenes a deal with Boost Mobile. Uh, it was going to be, you know, the big, the first big brand to make a splash in NIL day one, really actually at midnight or 1201 going through the process of getting clearance through Fresno State Compliance, which is where the twins were at the time, uh, going through the, the contract work beforehand so that it would be ready to launch at that time. And the twins would be going from California to New York to be on site in Times Square that that literal minute that the clock turned 12.01 and then do all the all the shows, the Today Show, ESPN, et cetera. And so going back a week or two prior to that, they had heard from the Cavender twins' parents that the twins really wanted to have legal counsel to review these types of contracts and help them with their NIL. And the parents are great, and I, I've gotten to be very close with them. It just so happens that the father actually went to uh, school, went to college at Nova Southeastern, which is very close to where I live mm -hmm. and you know, has an appreciation for South Florida. And it started with a Zoom where I did a Zoom with uh, the parents. And then I think I did either a follow-up Zoom or the same one with the twins as well and their sister, who at the time was acting as business manager. And, you know, just open book, ask whatever questions they had. There was a lot of comfort. Uh, we decided to, to go in it together and, and work on this particular deal with Boost Mobile to start. And then also I had some brands that were reaching out to me. So I had connected the twins with Six Star Pro Nutrition, which was another brand that we did day one. GoPuff wanted to do a deal, but we pushed that to day two. And very quickly, they just became very comfortable with the whole situation and asked me to continue to work with them. And I think about a month in, because I don't really do procurement, I'm not an agent, I'm a lawyer. You know, they asked for suggestions on who to work with if, if they want to sign with an agent. I gave them 
you know, a list of a few names of recommended uh, individuals and companies. And ultimately they chose Everett Sports, ESM, which I also happen to work very closely with. And it's been, it's been a match made in heaven. I mean, everything has just clicked. I've worked with a lot of athletes over my career. I love almost each and every one of them. There's a few that I really, <laughs> really did not enjoy the working relationship. But uh, in fact, the only one really comes to mind. Um, and uh, but but they just make it so easy because outside awesome. of outside of bailing on pickleball at the last minute, I mean, they just <laughs> they perform nonstop and they go above and beyond on every single engagement brands love them and they just i think that's so great they're not only caring about engaging for the brands bigger than yeah they're they're bigger than than basketball right and right um, because they're now no longer at miami and they're doing as well if not better so yeah and it's a a great opportunity for sorry sean it's a great opportunity for for athletes to to kind of build and, and showcase their brand and um, you know, be, be put on, onto maybe a, a bigger scale. And that's, I, I want to ask you about something that kind of goes back to the inception of this whole shift in, in NIL. And, you know, we saw some news today about NCAA football game coming back out that there's some, some, some good data around there. Would love just to get your thoughts. Obviously, you know, all conferences are signed in over 120 schools are signed on. I got a quick look at, at what the the pool of money that's going to be distributed is and, and what that kind of um, looks How like for each athlete. Uh, so I, I think in, in the on three article, they quoted it as $5 million in that realm, which would translate to, you know, depending on uh, individual deals and things like that, about five hundred dollars per athlete. I don't know how how uh, five hundred dollars per athlete. Darren, kind of... you, pl- you you maybe played NCAA 05. I played it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those games. I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, it's coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. T- talk to us. Okay, so $5 million pot. One team has got the GLA for it. How mm. do you feel about all this? You know, I want to look under the hood. Uh, number one, I love the fact that the game is coming back as a consumer. And I speak on behalf of all consumers that there is just this overwhelming joy that the football game is coming back. Not as... As far as I know, it's not as NCAA college football, but college football, because I don't believe there's a license in place with the NCAA. And maybe that changes. You know, this this was teased or it was announced by EA Sports going back to February 2021. And I remember going back to that time when it was initially announced, EA Sports took a very bold position, which was we don't need to license from the players. We don't need to license their names and likenesses. And I said, well, not so sure I, I agree with you there, you know, that they were going to do deals with the CLC, the college licensing company, for to use the marks of the schools, et cetera, the stadiums. But it appears EA has decided to change its prior position. Now, I, I've, I've done work with one team, very reputable people there, smart people, organization made up of various players associations, Oftentimes don't love their contracts that I've looked at. So I'd be interested in seeing what they're going to put in front of the players, whether it's different than the existing template GLA, uh, general licensing agreement that they've uh, provided players in the past. One team tends to take a a decent percentage away as well, which is not always, I mean, obviously they have to earn money and and it's a business, but that takes away from the pool that's offered to the players. And 5 million, it may be a nice headline, but it's quite underwhelming. Uh, as you mentioned, right. when you split that among all the athletes, it's bupkis. <laughs> it's not much. I mean, 
EA pays, I, I was just looking at like Madden, right? Just for reference. EA pays the National Football League in the PA $50 million to be the sole video game license, which makes the players roughly, <clears throat> I was just looking at an article here. It said like 17 to 17, $18,000 in 2019. Uh, this is a $5 million deal and the players will get four or 500 bucks. Do you think that they're getting it at a lower, they're, they're giving the one team less that just something seems off there right or doesn't jive yeah, everything's a negotiation it'll be interesting to see i don't know if you'll remember or if any of you played nba live growing up and, and yeah. some of the other basketball games like you had the vast majority of players names connected to the players and then i forgot what like michael jordan was but he wasn't <laughs> michael jordan <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and Number 23 yeah right and so this has to be inherently an opt-in system. And I wonder, I think a lot of players are going to feel pressured to join the group, but I do wonder if you'll have any holdouts, particularly those who may be represented by bigger experienced agencies who say, this just isn't worth it. And maybe try to negotiate something outside of the group. I mean, I've, I've had players at big schools that had me look at the GLAs with one team and others, Brander, et cetera, that are trying to do this group licensing in the space. And I've actually counseled some players, don't sign. And so like, even when you see these school deals sometimes where they're creating jerseys for sale with players' names, we've had players opt out of the group licensing and either strike individualized deals or not do a deal whatsoever. It really does devalue the player and the player's publicity rights, particularly if someone then misappropriates their name, image, or likeness, and that player has to sue. It could work against them if, you know, if, if the misappropriator gets in discovery that the player only made $500 from this deal. And, and I haven't seen anything specific. I, I saw the same report from on three that you're probably referencing that a source indicated what the cash pool is. I suppose let's wait and see for confirmation. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's wrong. And, yeah. and maybe it's still being negotiated. I, I think the, the topic of players IP is super interesting. It's like now if someone opts out of this one team agreement, right? Does that opt them out of their Jersey agreement? Are they going to say, no, I want the Jersey, but not the video game, right? Like, or is it an all or nothing thing? So like, like many things, it's negotiable. It, it depends on what's being executed by and between one team and the player. If the, if the player, the, so I would counsel a player to only opt in on a deal by deal basis uh, into the group. Uh, this way you know, you're not relinquishing any and all right to reject on a deal by deal basis. I mean, maybe maybe the team jersey deal looks and sounds good for you, but this one doesn't. You know, by by keeping that in your back pocket, you have the capacity to join in certain licensing opportunities and reject others. That that really is what most players should be doing. Now, if I'm counseling the backup swimmer on a D3 <laughs> in a D3 school, maybe, you know, obviously the, the equation's different. The the analysis mm -hmm. is different. But if I'm let's say counseling last year Bryce Young, am I opting into this deal if I'm getting $500 out of it? It's it's yeah. tough because maybe you're doing you're you're opting in not for the monetary benefit but because of the ancillary benefits that come from having your name in it and peer pressure. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. You know, we talked about Charlie Baker and some of the things that he's, you know, pushing forward and 
one of the things he's been talking about is, oh, well, we just need blanket agreements. And, and I think that that is, is one of the, you know, challenges in this entire conversation around NIL and as it relates to the entire, you know, athletics department, what you just said, the, 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 the market is very different for a starting quarterback of, you know, a repeat national championship football team than it is for, you know, a men's volleyball player at a D3 school. And, and, you know, when we approach these blanket things or talk about, you know, group rights, it's, there's just no blanket solution where you can say this works for everybody in every situation. Well, but, but interestingly, if there is a situation and circumstance where what Charlie Baker is describing would potentially work, it is in the group licensing perspective, right? Because if you consider how players associations have dealt with these types of deals in the past, it essentially is that it's an opt-in and either it's a take it or leave it. This is, this is what you're going to get. And typically it's a poor, it's X portion of the revenues and, or opt out or, or not, or don't opt in. Whereas, you know, you talk to any lawyer who has negotiated an endorsement deal or an appearance deal um, or a camping clinic deal, et cetera, for an athlete before they read or hear Charlie's comment on a uniform contract and like, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, it's ludicrous. I know we're short on time. Darren's got to got to rush to find a replacement for his pickleball outing this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I just wanted to add back on the Cavender twins. I just wanted to add. I think one of the things that can't be not noticed from that is when people from the outside look at NIL and they say, "Oh, they're so worried about how much money they're making or all their deals. They're not thinking about what they're doing on the court." One of the greatest things that we've seen from the Cavenders and there's going to be athletes that do get distracted and maybe their play suffers, but the Cavenders were the leaders in NIL space and they took Miami to the elite eight. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I found myself thinking like we, we sell Angel Reese's NIL Jersey and I see her all over the place. And I, I found myself thinking it yesterday. I'm like, shoot, I hope Angel's still getting in the gym, but the, the Cavenders are, are a fantastic example that you can still have success on the court. Yeah. But, Go ahead, Darren. No, I, I thought Angel Reese is a great example. And outside the work that you're doing with her, I mean, she's in the SI swimsuit edition, you know, with Martha Stewart, you know, so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at, let's say the cabinet, going back to the cabinet twins, if you follow them on social media, I mean, every day they're posting about their workouts. They're mm -hmm. in the gym. They're, they're probably pushing themselves even harder uh, to show their followers what they're doing. And it, yeah, look at look at the people who are excelling the most with NIL, using the Cavender Twins, using Angel Reese as examples. Yeah, the Cavender Twins helped take Miami women's basketball further than I believe they've ever been before. Angel Reese, who has done dozens of deals, helped her team win a national championship. So... And the recruiting efforts just by leading by example, right? Yep. Like you could have the best recruiters out there by having, you know, giving the resources that the Cavenders had and, and Angel and LSU. Look at look at who's now starting to come there. This isn't this isn't inducement. This is leading by example, um, which is which is freaking awesome. It's honestly like one of the rare examples that's not inducement. I mean, there there right. are so many examples that pretty much anyone in this industry can point to where you know athletes are getting offers to come to a specific school by boosters or by collectives. Yet here we're providing an example of real NIL, not the NIL in quotation marks, but real NIL 
that's playing out through these players, through social media, et cetera, attracting other talent, very talented players to come to those schools. And that's something, even if the NCAA wanted to try to enforce, it couldn't because it's not inducement. It's not pay for play. So yeah, I think there, there are plethora of examples of that. It's just not what the media tends to like to cover. All right, Sean, let's hear it. We'll get you out of here on, on this last one. Adam, you can ask it. You ask it every time. Go ahead. One, one of the questions we love to ask our guests is if, if, you know, take it back, you know, let's say today you're a college athlete. What's your go-to NIL restaurant deal? What what can you just hit out of the park in terms of marketing? Dives right into your your identity. What's your go-to restaurant NIL deal for Darren Heitner? Are you asking me personally? Yeah. Oh yeah. You oh, yeah. Personally. Like what's what's the restaurant you would get? You would be the spokesperson of if it was an NIL deal. Oh. <laughs> We've heard. Uh, wait. What's that? What's that gas station? And uh, what's, what's Bucky's? The... We had Benihana a couple times. Yeah, Benihana. We Bucky's. We've gotten Bucky's. Benihana. I mean, I've got to think a few things here. It's got to be authentic, right? It has to be a type of food that I really enjoy and that I eat a lot. I've got to absolutely hit my target demo, right? And it has to be, you know, something that I guess represents me in a way. So we really have to go with like a deli that has bagels, right? Hit my Jewish community. It It has to be something that I'm loving, (laughs) that I'm eating a lot. So I'll go local. You know, it's, it's within driving distance about... 15, 20 minutes away, I'd go grandpa's bakery, um, maybe Moe's deli, maybe put them against each other, yeah. you know, drive up the price, <laughs> yeah, uh, but some, definitely lo- local deli. Going. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Local grandpa's deli. bagels yeah, it. and Moe's. You heard it here first. Reach out to Darren. Yeah. He's looking for a deal here. <laughs> Big um, money and if, lots of bagels. Yep. Darren, if, if, <laughs> if listeners want to follow you, best way to follow you, what would that be? Uh, Twitter's my name, Darren Heitner. LinkedIn, I'm pretty active. As you mentioned, I've got a a weekly newsletter that goes out on Fridays on NIL. And if you want to get a taste of personal life uh, and see a lot of kid and wife pictures, which I doubt, it's also my name, Darren Heitner, on, on Instagram. Love it. Sweet. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to get you back on and revisit this as as everything rolls out. We really, really appreciate the time. This is another episode of of the NIL show. So, thanks again, Darren. Thank you, hey everyone. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any teamwear, custom merchandise, rec or youth league jerseys. Uh, fraternity and sorority wear, or company merchandise. We're always here for you. You can find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store.